I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome back to Go and Do. This week we have Helaman chapters 13 through 16. We hope you enjoy it. One thing uh, I was talking to my wife about this, and one thing she pointed out is that Samuel the Lamanite is kind of this, he's only around, he kind of comes in and steals the show because he comes in for like the most important prophecy <laughs> of the Book of Mormon. He comes in and he's like, hey, here's what's going to happen. Christ is going to be born. Here's what's going to, here are the signs to look for. And then they want to kill him. And so he has to flee back to his own land. And we never really hear about him again. And it's kind of like this guy had this incredible prophecy and this incredible insight. And the unusual thing was, is that he was a Lamanite who were typically the people that struggled to be obedient historically. But in this instance, they, they were the people that were adhering to the gospel more. And the Nephites were the ones that were needing to be reminded of the truth. But, um, just thought that was kind of interesting for these. Basically, there's like three chapters in here where he shows up and has all these super important things to say. And then he's gone. When when Christ comes later in chapter 11 and 12 of the Nephi. If, he mentions if Nephi that. or Lehi is still there. Like Nephi and Lehi, the prophet here that was mm-hmm. in this era. I'm pretty sure they are, because I think he becomes one of the disciples. Or, or, uh, and then he asks the people, hey, where are the words that Samuel the Lamanite wrote? And they yeah. say, oh, we didn't write them down. And he says, well, let them be written down, because they're yeah. important. Because I, I, for me, the big shift was we were just talking about Lehi, and Nephi, the great kind of, especially Nephi, who receives the sealing power, and he causes this famine, and and he's helping the people become humbled and, and turn to the Lord, and then it, that kind of just ends, you know, very abruptly, and then we hear about Samuel the Lamanite, and in, and it's funny because in um, it says it's at the beginning it says. It came to pass that 86, 80 and 6 years, the Nephites still were very wicked in verse 1. And then in verse 2, it came to pass that in this year, there was one Samuel, a Lamanite, came into the land of Zarahemla and began to preach unto the people. It came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people. And they did cast him out, and he was about to return to his own land. This sounds very similar. You know, to to Alma, you know, to um, Jonah. I mean, there's like countless times when prophets have gone and they get disappointed and they get downtrodden and they start to turn around to leave, and then the Lord's like, "Uh, uh-uh, go back, go back," you know, and they have to, and they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly like that. In number three, you know, the voice of the Lord came unto him that he should return again and prophesy to the people whatsoever thing came into his heart. So it's it's interesting because I feel like the Lord is 
His prophets will go do what's right. But he pushes them even a little further, almost like the, the master of the vineyard in, in, uh, in Jacob 5, you know, where let's dung about it one more time. Let's go one more. And I don't know. For me, I really like how it's not looking good. The people are wicked. But the Lord is like, one more time. Just go one. And it came to pass that he would not suffer, that he should enter the city. So he kind of went through the backside, got on a wall, started prophesying. They started, uh, you know, trying to kill him. But he was able to deliver his message. And, And it's funny because I think the Lord knows that, well, he definitely knows that these people are ripe for iniquity, but he's going out of his way with his servant, you know, to make sure that they really know where their actions are going to take them and how important it is for them to repent. The Lord doesn't just like dishing out punishment. He wants you to really know where your course of action is going to take you. And he wants you to turn from your ways or repent. I don't believe that these people were completely ignorant of their ways, but they were very much entrenched in, you know, in in chapter Helaman 13, verse 8. And it says, and thus, therefore, thus saith the Lord, because of the hardness of their hearts of the people of the Nephites, except they repent, I will take away my word from them and I will withdraw my spirit from them. And I will suffer them no longer, and I will turn the hearts of their brethren against them. And four hundred years shall pass away, and I will cause that they shall be smitten. Yea, I will visit them with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence. I will visit them with my fierce anger. And you can read this, like initially, when I read this very quickly and superficially, I think, man, the Lord is vengeful, you know. He's out to get them and teach them a lesson. But that's not the case. Samuel is up there with the hopes that they change. The invitation is always like when you teach your child or or you see a friend and you see them heading in a direction that shouldn't be, that's not going to bring them happiness. And you continuously, hey, man, you you need to change your ways. Oh, you need to do this. This is not going to be good. You shouldn't be playing with matches next to the gasoline uh, canister you know inside a, a, a barn house full of hay you know this is not going to end well and, and then they keep doing it and then it happens and then they get mad at you like how did you why why did the lord let this happen to us and part of it is you kind of did this to yourself and you were warned and warned and warned and that's what prophets do is they 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 stand and they warn people. And sometimes people tend to get upset at the prophet. You know, they tend to say, well, well why, is, why is President Nelson not, not hip enough or not with it enough to understand that, hey, I'm not hurting anybody. Hey, we've moved beyond, beyond those old timey rules. And now we're in the modern age where, you know, I can be more promiscuous. I should be able to do this. And it's okay that I do that. And, and and they're saying, like Samuel on the hill, if you continue down this path, it's going to affect our society. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect your future. It's going to affect your soul. Well, he also brings up um, treasures. And he talks a lot about treasures. And I thought that was really interesting because he talks about treasures and he talks about riches. In verse 18, it shall come to pass, saith the Lord of hosts, yea, our great and true God, that whoso shall hide up treasures in the earth shall find them again no more because of the great curse of the land, save he be a righteous man and shall hide it up unto the Lord. For I will, saith the Lord, that they shall hide up their treasures unto me. And cursed be they who hide not up their treasures, for none hideth up their treasures unto me, save it be the righteous. And he hideth not up his treasures unto me, cursed and also the treasure, and none shall redeem it because of the curse of the land. So I we've talked about, you know, parable of the talents and stuff like that in the past. This is a different thing because he's saying 
it's not hoarding, right? In my mind, this means like if you're not dedicating these important things to me, then you will lose them. And then the other part is he gets into, let's see, I think it's in verse 21. Behold ye that the people of this great city that hearken unto my words, yea, hearken unto the words which the Lord saith. For behold, he saith that are ye are cursed because of your riches, and also are your riches cursed because ye have set your hearts upon them, and have not hearkened unto the word words of him who gave your God and the things which he which he hath. But ye always do always remember your riches, not to thank the Lord your God for them. Yea, your hearts are not drawn out unto the Lord, but they do swell with great pride unto boasting and unto great swelling envyings, strifes, malice, persecutions, and murders, and all manner of iniquities. So he's drawing a line between the treasures that the Lord is talking about and the riches, and they are not the same thing. And I look at it as the treasure is the gospel, the knowledge of truth. And how are you using that knowledge of truth? Are you using it in the way the Lord would intend you, or are you using it to lord it over others or to use it as leverage over other people? And then the riches are a completely different thing. This is a temporal, a mortal riches, right? And it's the thing that's kind of corrupting. He's saying that that's what's leading to boasting and swelling and being strifes and all that. Interesting, like you said, I think verse 25 is one of my favorite verses. And you have to read verse 24 because it kind of it kind of leads up to it. <laughs> but he tells them, Yea, woe unto this people because of this time which has arrived, that ye cast out the prophets and do mock them and cast stones at them and do slay them and do all manner of iniquity against them, even as they did of old times. And now when ye talk, ye say, If our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. But ye are worse than they. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come upon you and declare unto you the word of the Lord, which testifies of your sins and iniquities, ye are angry with him and cast him out and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, you will say that he is a false prophet and that he is a sinner and of the devil and because he testifies of your deeds are evil. And I, I don't know, I think that I really like that because I think it it's very indicative or or very insightful into our human nature. We often view someone else's mistakes through 2020 vision and say if I were them I wouldn't have done that. But then you don't you don't see yourself how you're doing similar like things in your time. And many times we say when we read, especially at the beginning of the Book of Mormon, when we read Laman and Lemuel and Nephi and Sam, it's very easy to say, oh, man, how can Laman and Lemuel be so stubborn? How could they have not listened? And and in reality, they weren't that far off to how we all act most of the time. And, and in our day, I mean, we think that mocking the prophet is the people we see a, a general conference on Temple Square with with a sign, you know, and we can automatically detect that's inherently wrong. He's mocking the prophet, and, and those people are probably fine. They're they're probably not in as big as as um, condemnation as some of us who have the words of the prophets and find a way of justifying or trying to do crazy mental gymnastics around what mm-hmm. has been told to, for us to do to justify our continual way of viewing the world and not opening our mind to how they view it. Well, you, you continue in verse 27. But behold, if a man shall come among you and shall say, do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and ye shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes and do whatever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and say this, you will receive him and say that he is a prophet. Yea, you will lift him up and you will give unto him of your substance. You will give unto him of your gold and of your silver and you will clothe him with costly apparel 
and because he speaketh flattering words unto you, and he saith that all is well, then you will not find fault with him. And then he just goes, and basically, this, verse 29, O ye wicked and ye perverse generation, ye hardened and ye stiff-necked people, how long will ye suppose that the Lord will suffer you? Yea, how long will ye suffer yourselves to be led by the foolish and blind, blind guides? Yea, how long will ye choose darkness rather than light? He's saying, once again, that part of human nature. Someone comes along and says, look, you guys aren't doing that bad. Like, it could be way worse. You could be saying way worse things. You could be doing way worse things. You're fine. Then yeah. everyone likes to feel that comfort feeling of, oh, yeah, I'm not that bad. You know? And, well, you know, you can do a little bit as long as it doesn't take over your life. And people are like, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to take over my life. I just do this every once in a while because I need to I need a break. I can't be perfect all the time. You know, I just need to relax sometimes and and blow off some steam or whatever. And they get just they feel justification and they like that. And so they support that. And you see it all the time with people. Yeah. It's I it's can... not maybe as stark as as he's describing here where you know you're literally giving them gold and stuff, but where do we where do we invest our money? Where do we invest our, where do we invest our our thoughts and energy? And a lot of times it's just with people that agree with us. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like we can fall very much prey to that. Where it's nice to have someone that tells you you're not doing that bad, Daniel. I mean, Daniel. Okay, sure, you stole that chair. Okay, but. I mean, you need a chair yourself, right? You've worked hard. You, you, it's not like you're a mooch. You have a job, you know? And and you can feel that manipulative, complementary uh, rationalization that happens. But that's very different than, hey, Daniel, you made a mistake, man. But I believe you can do better. Just don't be so hard on yourself. Improve. You know, and it kind of... It depends because these are kind of conversations we have in our mind. And it kind of depends what is your motive. Like what truly is your desire? How honest are you? Because the Savior will always correct you and tell you the truth. The, the Spirit will always tell you the truth. And it will cut you and it will hurt. But you will never be left in despair. The, the Lord has a way of inspiring you to be better. And that's different than Satan. Satan has a way of lulling you away to a false sense of security that leads you to inaction. The Lord's way, it always leads to action. You need to do this better. You need to change this. You need to improve this. And you can do it, and he'll be patient with you along the way. As long as you're, you're giving an honest effort, right? And, and, and he even says, if you falter, how often should we forgive your neighbor? Seven times 70, which is a ridiculous number to say a lot. I'll always be there, you know, if you're honest and willing to change. Where it's funny how Satan uses, like, you've never done anything wrong. But then when you finally realize you did something wrong, the whole plan switches. He switches it on you to say, but you'll never be right again. You can never be clean again. You've gone down this path so much. This is just how you are. That's for the prophets. You're not a prophet. You're never going to be that clean. You know, you, you know, and it's, it's like this reverse horrible way of, and that's why, I mean, you see a lot of individuals and people and all of us, you know, we, we, we oftentimes we're, that the we're either too hard on ourselves or too relaxed and it's very easy to be in one of those extremes or we're very hard on ourselves and we expect so much and we have this over crushing burden of of what perfection and the gospel demands in us and we'll never add up and we'll never be enough or we'll so relax that it's like ah, i'm already baptized i just uh, yeah everybody else is gonna burn in hell but me you know all these things and it's like that's also not the right spectrum to be and that's the blessing of the gift of the holy ghost the gift of the holy ghost will tell you things how they really are meaning if you want to have 
uh, an interview or a wrestle with the Lord to find out where your standing is, it will tell you where you really are if you're really honest. And it will help you know what you need to improve, what you need to watch out for, what you need to change, and also what you're doing well. The, the consequences that we experience are good indicators to where we stand with the Lord. And I think that there's a, there's a word in this chapter. It's such a good word to describe what this is talking about because, you know, he's talking about how the, the Lord is already angry at them. And he says, And behold, the time cometh that he curseth your riches, that they become slippery, that ye cannot hold them. And the days of your poverty ye cannot retain them. And the days of your poverty ye shall cry unto the Lord, and in vain ye shall cry, for your desolation is already come upon you, and your destruction is made sure. And then shall ye weep and howl in that day, saying, The Lord of hosts. And, and then shall ye lament and say, Oh, that I had repented and had not killed the prophets and stoned them and cast them. And that day ye will say, Although we had remembered the Lord our God in the day that he gave us our riches, and then they would not have become slippery, that we, we should lose them. For behold, our riches are gone from us. Basically saying, you know, when you start experiencing these, these consequences, these natural consequences of poor decisions and of disobedience, you start to feel that regret. But the word slippery, it's like, Literally, you can't hold on to good things anymore. And you see this happening to people, and maybe it's happened um, to all of us. When you start maybe to, to not pay attention or you, or you do things you shouldn't do, and then some of your blessings start to slip away from you, and you can see it happening. And there's nothing you can do to stop it because it's like, I don't deserve this blessing right now. But rarely do we do we acknowledge, you know, I, I'm not doing the right stuff. I don't deserve that blessing right now. Instead, we're like, oh, this isn't fair, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, but he keeps bringing this word up, you know. Um, thir verse 35, yea, we have hit up our treasures and they have slipped away from us because of the curse of the land. You know, verse 36, oh, that we had repented the day the Lord came unto us. For behold, the land is cursed, and all things are become slippery, and we cannot hold them. It's like, even when you decide, or when you recognize that you've done what's wrong, some things are going to, as a consequence, some things will be taken away from you. And no matter how much you try to reel that back and try to say, okay, 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 I get it now, I get it, I get it. It's like, you know what, the consequences, this is gone. You have lost this privilege, you have lost this, this blessing. And it's it will slip away, you know. I think, I think, you know, in verse thirty-eight, right down the middle, um, where it says, "And ye have sought for happiness in doing iniquity, which is contrary to the nature of that righteous of the righteousness which is in our great and eternal head," which he's trying to say, you you're seeking happiness, which is not a bad thing to seek. We all should seek it, but the way you're seeking it is not going to get you happiness. You know, the, the methods, the, the things you're doing to get happiness, they may get you temporary happiness. They may get you like momentary euphoria, whatever, but real happiness only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, through living the principles, you know, the eternal principles. Um, and, and that's interesting because... Everyone wants to be happy. I don't think anyone wants to be miserable. You know, everyone seeks happiness and they seek it in, you know, whatever way they think they can get it. Sometimes it's through material things or riches. And we learn previously in the Book of Mormon that seeking after riches isn't necessarily a bad thing. But okay. first seek ye the kingdom of heaven, you know, first seek to do good with them. And being blessed isn't terrible, and having blessings or, or receiving, uh, doing well, uh, but it is terrible not to acknowledge where those things truly lie or come from and, and come from the Savior. I think King Benjamin did an excellent job always explaining, you can never actually deserve anything <laughs> because the Lord is so good and generous that as soon as you think you've 
paid him back, he's already doubled down and blessed you even more. You know, so if you think this is an accounting game where you're going to eventually write the check and, 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 and buy something, heavenly reward, you never will because you are less than the dust of the earth. Right. Um, I, the other thought I had, you know, in the lesson here, you know, there's a whole section on uh, the Lord gives warning through prophets and um, and the Russell M. Nelson quote where he says, um, through the centuries, prophets have fulfilled their duty and they have warned people of the dangers before them. The Lord's apostles are duty bound to watch, warn and re reach out to help those seeking answers to life's questions. And I think it's interesting because sometimes we take for granted how special and powerful general conference is because we we hear very similar things all the time, you know, and we're ready, we're ready for something shiny. But but in reality, it really is that simple, you know, uh, these things. And so what I was, the thought I had was back in chapter 13 of Helaman, when it says, you know, you've, you've mocked the prophets, you've cast stones at them and, and done, driven them out and killed them. In our day, we can't really do that to the 12 and the quorum if we wanted to. That's not within our culture. In their culture, you could grab rocks. You could run them out of town. And, and that was kind of how they did things, you know. And, but what would be the equivalent in our day? I think sometimes it could be not seeking their voice. We, we expect them to stand at, at the wall next to our house and shout down at us. When their their voice is as accessible as a couple touches on our phone, you know, in less yeah. than five ten seconds, you can hear their voice. So I think sometimes not making time, or not seeking them out, or hearing things secondhand, and then having a third party explain it to us, as opposed to ourselves using our agency and our revelation and our priesthood and our gift of the Holy Ghost to ponder on their words, to find out how it's applicable to us. We almost, we, we kind of, I think we've gotten in a bad habit of diluting the message of the prophets by wanting someone else to spoon feed it to us. And that's where you get in trouble with these blogs and these books and these things and people, which aren't necessarily bad. But if that's your only diet and you haven't learned how to seek them out, how to listen to them, how to receive your own revelation, then I think it can be a way that you are stoning or mocking or uh, not fully utilizing and the blessing of having these leaders and these these prophets among us. And I know, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be harsh and, and I'm not, you know, but I am trying to be very direct that there's a reason why this was placed in here. And for them, they would mock them, kill them, run them, and, and stone them. What's the equivalent in our day? I agree. And I think a lot of times paying attention to even people that aren't necessarily referencing the prophet, people who claim to be life coaches or, or whatever, you know, that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if you're paying more attention to those sources and you're not paying attention to the scriptures and the prophets that are living today, then you're kind of discrediting them. You're kind of just saying, oh, that doesn't matter to me. And it's, the, you know, like you said, it's the modern day equivalent of throwing them out of town or stoning them. You're basically saying, this person tells me stuff I like to hear. This person, I'm a little confused by what they're saying. And I... It you know I I know they're good and whatever but I I'd rather listen to this but they're exciting this person's exciting you know the the way well, they present things it's way more interesting than watching general conference you know well, I've heard people say stuff like that I really yeah. like so and so because the way they present it is so exciting it's so interesting and it it just grabs me and I really struggle with reading the scriptures I get it that makes sense okay. Everyone kind of goes through that. But at the same time, when we when we stop listening and we stop reading the prophet's words, um, 
then we're, we're leaving our salvation up to the interpretation and understanding of others. And we're relinquishing our own personal right to revelation. And that's kind of dangerous, right? Yeah. Well, I would also say that our modern day prophets have a lot more means. There's a lot more content than, than we imagine. You know, they do con like almost monthly. There's always a, a youth uh, meet and greet type of online meet and greet. And they have posts almost daily of, of comments and inspirational quotes. And then there's like official church messaging that goes out. And, you know, sometimes we read the article that summarizes what it says. <laughs> yeah. You know? As opposed to let's read it ourselves in in a in a spirit of of trying to understand, trying to heed the words of the prophet, and it kind of goes back to that scripture where where he says uh, in in verse um, chapter thirteen, verse twenty five, and you say if our days had been in the days of our fathers of all, we would have not taken these people for granted, basically, and we look at. We always have that whenever we have the King Benjamin um, lesson in Sunday school. The, the great thing that we always point out is, yeah, all the, all the people came and they planted their tents and, and the, they were facing the temple. So they could, how can we face the temple? And we'll talk about that in, in, in this imagery. And it's like, but what we don't understand is they had to come probably miles. You know, they were probably tired, you know, they probably had to deal with crowds and how do we organize ourselves and who saved what spot, you know, there's all this, these inconveniences that tend to turn us off. And, and it's the same as, are we listening to the prophet? The inconvenience can be, hey, you have to make time. Do you have to take a break from lunch or you're surrounded by these people? You need to find quiet time to go listen to, to, to you know, or read this article and, and, there, there will be many, I, I just think their messages, we tend to allow them to get diluted by other things. And that they're not necessarily, they're not inherently wrong. And even this podcast can be like that. You better not be listening to this podcast and not reading the chapters yourself and not, and not uh, looking at the lesson. This should only just add a different perspective give you an opportunity to look at it through a different point of view, but in no way should this ever replace you actually listening, uh, listening or reading the book of Mormon and thinking about things on your own. You know? Definitely. And when we get to chapter 14 is when uh, Samuel starts to talk about the, the birth of Christ and starts to prophesy about that. And a lot of the signs, um, basically tells them in five years this is going to happen. There will be great lights in the heaven, insomuch that the night before he cometh there shall be no darkness, insomuch that it shall appear unto man as if it were day. So a day and a night and a day um, with no darkness, which, you know, I'm sure that there's plenty of uh, <laughs> astronomical <laughs> explanations as to how that might happen and whatever. Um, a new star will arise, you know, it could be that just the position in the sky or whatever. You know what? Sure. I, I, I fully support all of that. At the same time, the fact that it coincides perfectly with the birth of Christ um, is no accident. And I think that it's interesting that we talk about how signs don't convert people and signs don't shouldn't overpower a testimony, right? Just to getting a testimony. But I think what's happening here is he's talking about something that's happening in another, it might as well be another planet for these people. It's happening in Jerusalem, right? Which none of these people have been to Jerusalem. Their forefathers came from there 400 years before this. They don't, they're not familiar with this land. And he's saying, yeah, this is going to happen and Christ will be born, and then he will live his life, and then he will die. And here's the signs of his death, that there will be three days of darkness, and goodness gracious, all the crazy stuff that's going to happen. 21, at the time ye shall yield up the ghost, there shall be thundering, 
thunderings and lightnings for the space of many hours, and the earth shall shake and tremble, and the rocks which are upon the face of this earth, which are both above the earth and beneath, which ye know at this time are solid, or the more part of it is one solid mass, shall be broken up, and shall be rent in twain, and shall ever be found in seams and cracks, and broken fragments upon the face of the whole earth, yea, above the yeah, both above the earth and beneath. Tempests, and I mean, he's basically saying it's going to be absolute natural chaos when this happens. So why is he focusing so much on these signs, other than to say, you can't witness Christ yourselves. You won't be present during his ministry. You won't be present during his birth. You won't be present during his death. But I want, but God wants everyone to know that it's happening. And the best way to let you know is for something really drastic to change your routine. A day, day with no darkness symbolizes his birth. We want everyone to know that this is a symbol that the Savior has been born. And, you know, obviously the, the fact that the light um, doesn't go away is a symbol of the light of Christ, the light of the gospel. And then the fact that he is he's killed and he's pa he passes away. We want everyone to know that that has happened, right? So three days of darkness and absolute chaos. And we know later on that um, at his birth, there are people who are believers. And we'll read about that in, in the chapters that follow, but there are believers that are waiting for that day, a night and a day of no darkness to happen. And there are people who are like, this is, this is a bunch of lies, and we're going to kill you all. And when the sun goes down and it doesn't get dark, not only are their lives saved, but also many people are converted because they realize, oh my gosh, this is for real. Yeah. And think... then I always think about this, though, like, let's say you're a little kid, right? And, and at the time of Christ's birth, and so you vaguely remember... Um, there being no darkness. But then 35 years go by-ish. You're 35 years old, 40 years old, whatever, and it's the time when Christ passes away and everybody's talking about, you know, that we'll, we have to look for the signs of his death. And maybe you're an unbeliever at that point. Maybe you're like, eh, I don't think this is real. Because there were a lot of people who did not believe that it was real. And then there's three days of darkness and all this chaos. And then after three days, this guy comes out of the sky and there's a voice presenting him as a beloved son. That moment has got to be just absolutely mind boggling for you to be like, I vaguely remember that happening. And now this is, this is real. You know, the signs for them, like, I, I don't think that it, solidified a testimony and made everyone a hundred percent believers, the signs themselves. I think the spirit supporting, you know, all of that. But at the same time, I think that even if people had faded away from belief, um, seeing the prophecies come true, definitely solidified a testimony. And, uh, when I, when I think about those people and I think about, God wanted to make sure that they were prepared to receive the Savior somehow. And so what better way than to humble them down and put them in a state where they are at their most vulnerable. You know, they've, they've seen utter natural chaos, uh, rocks breaking in half and cities being swallowed up and valleys becoming mountains. They, they're just completely at his mercy. And then he sends the Savior to, to witness to them. And I think that there's reason behind that. He has to put them in a state where they're going to be more willing to accept the Savior and that they're going to be humbled. Because if he'd just shown up, there might have been people that have been like, this isn't him, this is a lie, this is a, an imposter or something. But under those circumstances, there's no doubt. Yeah, I think, I mean, one of the things that, that stuck in my mind was how many times the city of Sarahamla is referred to as this great city of Sarahamla, this great city. And then I think about King Noah 
in his time when they had a couple skirmishes with the Lamanites and they had built that really tall tower and they mm -hmm. had won a couple wars and they thought we're so great and we have our tower. We can see them a long ways off. We just get prepared to get our army. We'll beat them again. And it's, it's interesting how we, we construct very marvelous things. You know, we have great things we've made. And when these tempests come, those who are believers tend to think about the sign and its meaning and the Savior, and it's a, it reaffirms their faith. And oftentimes, the people don't want to hear that message because they're so concerned about their great city. How can <laughs> this happen to our great Or our great city, just so powerful. And I think this sign, especially the sign of his death, where it says you know, in verse 23 or 22 and 23 and 24, it says the great tempest and there should be many mountains laid low and unto valleys. And there should be many places which are now called valleys that become mountains. And it's so extreme <laughs> that in a way you could feel like that can't be real. There's no such power, you know, but it is true, you know, and all of that is inconsequential to what the real miracle is and it's the miracle of the resurrection the miracle of the atonement of jesus christ and so it's almost like we're giving these visual clues that you couldn't you can't even today if someone were to tell me see the huge rocky mountain range like that it can be a valley i would say well it's, it's gonna be a lot of work you know <laughs> Uh, you know, we take great pride in Kennecott over here because they made a <laughs> giant hole that you can see from space. And the Lord is saying, I can change the earth however I want, whenever I want, you know. But that should be a likeness to you. As impossible as that feels to you, there's this atonement, this change, and this, this, this uh, conquering of death conquering of what we think cannot be and what we're completely utterly helpless to the spiritual death and the physical death there's nothing we can do it is like that mountain turning into a valley you give us a shovel we don't live long enough to make even an impact on on changing that ourselves but here comes the savior who can do that and your mountain can be a valley, and your valley can be a mountain, and your high place can be low. As 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 impossible as that seems, in your character, in your flaws, in your tendencies, it can be changed. You know, as as what you consider is a normal routine where the light comes out and it goes back to darkness. As as impossible as no darkness and just light. As, 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 as impossible as that appears to you, the Savior can make that happen. And that's what I like about these chapters. It's the, it's the imagery. It's the feeling as if you were there, how would you interpret this to you to say? And how, what does it mean to us? And, and I think I really like verse 30, where he kind of says, Oh, now remember, remember my brethren. That whosoever perishes, perishes unto himself. And whosoever doth iniquity, does it unto himself. For behold, ye are free, ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God has given unto you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. And he hath given unto you that ye might know good from evil, and that he hath given unto you that ye might choose life or death. And ye can do good, and be restored unto that which is good, or have that which is good restored unto you, or you can do evil and have that which is evil restored unto you. You know, if when you look at the entire plan of salvation, you, you have to realize that we all have to come to this conclusion. What did we do with our time? What did we choose to follow? And there are many in this, in the whole story of the earth, there's many apostasies there's many dispensations there's 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 many times when there was knowledge and there wasn't any knowledge but the savior in his infinite atonement takes care of all of that 
everyone will have the opportunity. And, and whether they come at noon, whether they were there the whole day or they come at 12 o'clock, they all get the same reward, you know? And so sometimes we focus so much on things and, and we stop to think, where am I, you know, in this story? Where do I find myself? And where is, you know, do I truly believe, am I one of these believers that I, I think the Savior can do what he says he can do? Or am I a disbeliever that says that seems impossible? I don't think I can ever be like that. I can never change that part of me. It's better not to believe. I don't want false hope, you know. That I mean, that's for me what these people are really struggling with. They, they see these believers and it's easier easy to mock them. To say, you know what? Yeah, your sign. Yeah, that's going to happen. You know, that's impossible. How is that going to happen? But we don't know what's possible and impossible. And and to our to our Savior, nothing is impossible. You know. Well, and there there might have been people like maybe Captain Moroni that would have looked on the Lamanites in his time and said, I don't know that these people will ever be righteous not truly righteous i don't know that these people will ever be redeemable i mean with god nothing is impossible but look at how wicked they are and they're just trying to kill and murder and pillage and and loot all the time you know and then what happens several years later is that they actually are the righteous ones and the lamanites and the nephites are the ones that have become the wicked because of their pride in chapter 15, verse 9, verse 9. And ye know that they have buried their weapons of war, and they fear to take them up, lest by any means they should sin. Yea, ye can see that they fear to sin. For behold, they will suffer themselves that they be trodden down and slain by their enemies, and will not lift their swords, swords against them. And this because of their faith in Christ, and not because of their steadfastness when they do believe in that thing which they do believe, for because of their firmness, when they are once enlightened, behold, the Lord shall bless and prolong their days, notwithstanding their iniquity. Yea, even if they should dwindle in unbelief, the Lord shall prolong their days until the time shall come, which hath been spoken of by our fathers, and also by the prophet Zenos, and many other prophets concerning the restoration of our brethren, the Lamanites, again, to the knowledge of the truth. And I, yea, and I say unto you that in the in the latter times the promises of the Lord have been extended to our brethren the Lamanites, and notwithstanding the many afflictions which they shall have, and notwithstanding they shall be driven to and fro upon the face of the earth, and be hunted, and shall be smitten and scattered abroad, having no place for refuge, the Lord shall be merciful unto them. We see this today. I mean, we're talking about uh, maybe even the colonization of the Americas, right? The Lamanites, the remnants of that people being the Native Americans, being pushed to and fro, scattered across the, the land, right? And being smitten and being hunted and whatever. There, there's no place for refuge, but the Lord shall be merciful unto them. And you see that happening. You see people with descendants or with ancestry that is is Lamanite, and they, they are being much more accepting of the gospel than than a lot of other people and they are very faithful people and i think that that is very very interesting that he's bringing that up back then you know saying right now they're righteous and we're the wicked ones and it doesn't matter how long it takes the lord will be merciful unto them because of their righteousness now i always felt guilty for people who don't have the gospel or don't have the chance. Because I thought, when I was younger, I thought, that's not fair. It's not fair that they don't have the gospel. And sometimes I would feel, I don't know, I, I would just feel guilty, you know. Until I started to understand more about the plan of salvation, that our agency is very powerful, you know. And it can overcome our situation, you know. Sometimes we need a little homeschool. And we get that in the spirit world, right? You know, sometimes we need, you know, 
some extra courses or, or we need to hear about it. And we know missionary work happens there. You know, it wouldn't happen there if people inherently knew. Oftentimes, if we look at the, the happenings throughout human history, through our perspective, we, we feel, we can feel saddened. We can feel like things aren't fair. When we try to look at it through an eternal perspective, knowing that our existence here is just like a small amount of time, very small amount of time, and that our Savior, he's with us, he's our Savior in the pre-existence, he's our Savior through mortality, and he's our Savior after, you know, and that there is, that his plan is not foiled. The Father's plan is not going to be foiled, and that there is no tragedy that he cannot write. Because I hate hearing when horrible things have happened to people, especially innocent people that just really do not deserve. Just, and it feels sad like the hand they were dealt was unfair. And sometimes you can start to think, well, why would God let something like that happen? And, or you see someone who has a huge desire to do good and succeed but it feels like almost every obstacle is laid in front of them. And it's like, for crying out loud, enough, you know, <laughs> give them a break, you know, type of thing, you know. But I always have to remember Jacob 5, where the master of the vineyard says, counsel me not, for I know where I have planted it. And, and we see that the, 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 the ones planted in the worst situations gave the best fruit and the ones planted in the best situation didn't give good fruit you know and that's kind of the the dichotomy of prosperity and struggle prosperity oftentimes breeds uh complacency uh self self aggrandizement where you no longer will attribute things to god and pride right yeah and in and the struggle often breeds humility, and then that humility bring, drives you closer to God, which then He empowers you and helps you be more, and 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 multiplies your effort. You know. Well, and there there has to be opposition in all things. Imagine if Samuel the Lamanite had gone and preached that, and everyone said, "Oh my gosh, you're right," and they'd all been converted. I mean, that would have been great, but at the same time, you know that that's not going to happen. And a good portion of people did, and they went and they were baptized by Nephi, and they joined the church, and they became righteous, right? But there were the majority, the vast majority, were still against the whole thing. Even after hearing all of that, even after seeing that they couldn't hit him with arrows and stones and spears and whatever, that he was protected by the Lord— even after all of that, they still thought this guy is just coming and telling us a bunch of nonsense and he just wants to make us all look bad, right? And they, they rejected it. But through, through all of that, there's going to always be, I think the Lord's wisdom is, he knows everyone has the freedom to choose and a majority will not choose right in this situation. But of those people who do choose right, like we've seen as a perfect example throughout the entire Book of Mormon, what comes after um, the generations that follow, you see that it has lasting impacts when someone chooses right and, and either is baptized or, or repents and returns to the Lord, that their families are blessed for that for generations, you know? And I think that even even today, we know that we have general conference every six months, and they go up and they speak all kinds of truth, and there will be people who will be fortified by that, there will be people who will be converted by that, and there will be people who will completely ignore it or even actively campaign against it. But the Lord's saying, you know what, you have the freedom to choose. And 
some the the few people that will be converted and and changed by the words of the prophet i i'm hedging my bets on those people to be a, of a greater impact than those who are actively campaigning against the prophet you know um it's interesting because we've heard now several times the lord telling prophets that the nephites will fall the nephites will fall apart he says, you know, four generations aren't going to go by and you will be wiped out. And uh, who was it? Alma telling his son Helaman, you know, Nephites are going to be destroyed. And yet, does that mean, okay, then we, we, we should probably stop focusing on them. We'll just teach the people that we know won't be destroyed. No, they go teach them anyway. Because it's like, uh, the first of all, I think it's because the worth of souls is great, right? <laughs> that there's these still people that are going to be living that uh, need to have the opportunity to hear the gospel and maybe accept it, even despite the fact that their people as a whole will be destroyed. There are individuals who won't be, and there are individuals who will live, will have the opportunity to live a righteous and obedient life because of their teachings. But I don't know. It's just interesting that, that they would feel the, the need or, or feel compelled to go and teach this so so adamantly, even knowing that it's inevitable that the Nephites will be destroyed anyway. But it's like that with missionary work. I think it's that charity, that pure love of Christ, where I just want you to know. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to have hope. I want you to come to the Savior. And if you don't, I'm saddened by it, but it doesn't diminish the Savior. You know what I mean? It doesn't diminish his message. He was never, he's the savior whether you believe in him or not. You know? Um, but but we all come to that conclusion and we, we will all come to that realization. Everyone. There will be a time where we will be before our makers and we'll have to, we'll understand, oh, yeah. That's what this was about. <laughs> well, and I and, chose wrong. <laughs> yeah. And even in, in the end of chapter 16, there's these people who are like, in, in verse 18, it is not reasonable that such a thing, such a being as a Christ shall come. If so, and he being the Son of God, the Father of heaven and of earth, as it has been spoken, why will he not show himself unto us as well, unto them as unto them who shall be at Jerusalem. Yea, why will he not show himself in this land as well as the land of Jerusalem? But behold, we know this is a wicked tradition, right? It's kind of what you were saying before about how people sometimes respond to the prophet and saying, this is all old-fashioned ways of thinking, right? And there's these people doing the same thing uh, 2,000 years ago. This is a wicked tradition which has been handed down to us by our fathers to cause us that we should believe in some great marvelous things which should come to pass, but not among us, but in a land which is far distant, a land which therefore we can, they can keep us in ignorance, for we cannot witness with our own eyes that they are true. Basically saying this is a big plot against us to keep us ignorant, you know, to keep us obedient. When really we know that this is all a complete unreasonable thing. Why would God come and send his son and not send him here too? Which is a great point to bring up because later on we find out that and indeed he does send his son to them as well. And I think it's probably partly because of people like this, you know, that doubt, that have questions of if this were real and if God loved us, then he would send his son to us too. Okay, yeah, well, here he is. Now what? You know, now how are you going to refute this? So I, I just think that was interesting. Final thought I have is uh, this section at the end of the lesson in the manual where it says, signs and wonders can strengthen the faith of those who do not harden their hearts. And, you know, it gives us, uh, in the second paragraph it says uh can you think of any signs that the lord has given to help you believe in him for instance prophets have predicted signs that will appear before the savior's second coming and so 
I did. I didn't think much about the second coming. What I thought was the Book of Mormon, viewing the Book of Mormon as a sign. Um, it's a sign that the gospel has been restored. It's a sign that uh, Jesus Christ is the Christ of all the earth. It is a sign of, um, you know, the dispensation of the fullness of times. It's a sign that Joseph Smith was called of God to translate this, you know. Um, but but I, I don't know. I, I go back to... Um, you know, the, the promise in the Book of Mormon, you know, where it, where it tells us in Moroni chapter 10, uh, verse 4, when it says, And when you have received these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true, and if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And that, you know, Moroni put this promise in here, you know, towards the end of the Book of Mormon. And I think about the signs in that kind of promise. If you have, if you're seeking to know the truth with real intent, with sincerity of heart, you know, and I think that's that's where we should always strive to be in in that realm of real intent and sincerity of heart. With whatever it is, with with um, general conference, with the church, the the they announce a change, you know. Uh, if if we view everything with real intent and sincerity of heart, we will know for ourselves. We will receive a confirmation. We will know for ourselves, and that's the the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that everyone is invited. To come to the Lord. There is no middle person. There's no one. And he says, I stand at the gate and I employ no servant there. Meaning there's no one between you and him. There should never be. You know? Well, and there, the lesson even says that the prophet does not stand between you and God. The, the the point of the prophet is to stand next to you and direct you in the direction of God. But it's not like you can only access God through me. And that's a huge thing because there are many situations where people seeking power and influence will say, the only way you can get to God is by listening to me or doing what I say. And that is a, a prime symbol of someone who is using unrighteous dominion, right? Who is saying, I am in charge and, and only through me can you access God. That's not how God works. Even our prayers are directly to God, right? We don't have to go through anyone else to get to him. Um, the prophet's merely saying, hey, let me walk with you and show you, here's the things to avoid. Here's some things that might be coming up and you might want to be ready for. But by no means is the prophet ever saying uh, the only way you can be have salvation is because of me. Oh, goodness. No, that's not how that works. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. is The church serves an excellent function in helping us give us resources, in keeping the doctrine pure, in helping us organize and administer um, the ordinances, mm -hmm. you know, through proper authority, you know, in, in that in. And that is all wonderful, and and we should all be immensely grateful for for that. In addition, our we are all invited to come to know the Savior, you know. And we can through through the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the most powerful testimony, more powerful than any other mean, to read. The words to pray and then to purposely apply those principles in our lives and we will see changes we will feel growth we will feel things that we cannot deny and we will begin to know that the gospel is true and that is meaningful and just like any skill just like any knowledge you have to continuously prune it and dung about it and 
take care of it and shepherd it and, 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 and nourish it. And as you do that, you will grow a beautiful garden, you know, where you can be in a secure, safe place and know that as in these last days, as uh, signs and tumults and, and, and wars and, 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 and pestilence and, and issues and COVID and things happen, that you will have a sure foundation and you won't despair because you know we're all leaving this life one way or another. And, and our time is not... Um, the quality of our life is should be based on the faith and the hope and the love we have inside and the hope for the resurrection, for the being able to be with our loved ones. And as we strive to do what we need to do to, to, to have that hope continuously burning within us, we will begin to move things that we believe into categories of things we know. And, and our faith will become even stronger. But that is all a very, um, all of that entire process is dependent on our agency, on our desire and our ability to act and do things that will invite the spirit, that will help us, that will strengthen us. And the one of the biggest um, temptations is to not exercise our agency and cultivate our garden. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.